Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would trust uh, in you with all of our hearts this morning. As we come to your word, that we would lean not on our own understanding, that you would be present to us by your Holy Spirit, helping us to see what it is that you have to say to us uh, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it was about six years ago, more or less, uh, that's when I met my, li- met my wife. Uh, we met just down the M8 in, in Glasgow. I went to a nice, cheap Italian restaurant, uh, Eusebi's Deli. If you're ever in the West End of Glasgow, you should check it out. Uh, And it was all going really well. Me, charming, as you might have already been picking up. And I really, really liked her. Even the food was delicious. And we were sat uh, in this brilliant seat in the window. I love a window seat as the conversation goes dead. You can just watch the world go by. It's delightful. Uh, But we were sat at one of those tall tables. Maybe you know the sort of table where you have to sit on a stool uh, instead of a chair. Really annoying. Like, so uncomfortable. And I was uh, resting my feet on the kind of bar, the, the, the made-up part of the chair, and suddenly that bar snapped, and I was left in an embarrassed heap on the floor. I had trusted in that stool, and it had completely failed me. Now, that's a, a silly story, really, isn't it? Uh, but trust is important to us. Uh, you'll know that if you've ever trusted in someone and been let down by them. That sort of betrayal can be horrible. And on the other side of that coin, how wonderful it is when we're able to trust those that we love and that love us most, our friends and our family. Because trust, it it, it is, isn't it? Trust is right at the heart of any healthy relationship. It's just so important to us. Well, this morning, our, our psalm gets us asking this question, I think. 
What do we trust? And not just what sort of seat might we trust to support a slightly overweight student, but what, or I guess rather, who do we trust when our lives are collapsing and overwhelming us? In the storms of life, no longer able to steer the ship, who do we trust to the wheelhouse? And ultimately, what do we think happens when we die? Who do we trust with the answer to that question? Who do we trust with our eternities? This uh, psalm, it's in a section of the psalms often known as the Egyptian Hillel. Uh, We read part of uh, one of these earlier as well. Uh, Hallel, you know the word. You might not think you know that word, but it's a familiar word. Hallelujah, right? Means praise Yahweh, praise God. And in these Psalms from 113 to 118, they are praising Hallel, God, for rescuing Israel out of Egypt. And so they're known as the Egyptian Hallel or, or the Egyptian praise. And it's hard to say uh, exactly when or for who this psalm was written, obviously after the the Exodus. But I think verse 2 gives us a little bit of a clue. Uh, Have a look at verse 2 with me. What does verse 2 say? Why should the nation say, where is their God? So we can imagine this psalm is probably written at a time where the, the nation surrounding Israel are questioning the existence, perhaps the, the potency and the goodness of Israel's God. Now, if we're honest, that might have been at almost any time in Israel's history, a time of perhaps national crisis, a time where Israel are struggling particularly, and it does not look as though their God is with them. I wonder, I suppose that could be in the aftermath of the Assyrian or Babylonian invasions as Israel and Judah are carried into exile. Perhaps even as they return uh, from that exile. We were back in Brunsfield earlier this year. We were in a series in the book of Haggai where Israel have returned from exile and they've begun this temple rebuilding project. But it's just so unimpressive to what was there before compared to what was there before. Whatever the context, the nations around them are asking, where is their God? He doesn't look so powerful now, they say. And maybe that sounds familiar. Right? It's true, isn't it? That the world around us is constantly calling into question the existence, potency and goodness of our God. I mean, even just over the last couple of years, how little has God been in the conversation? We've faced a global pandemic. Now there is war in Europe, a cost of living crisis, things that we've prayed about today already. You watch BBC Breakfast in the morning or you flick through the Scotsman, the Times or the Week. Nowhere will you find the suggestion that God has anything to do with what's been going on with COVID or with war or with the economy, much less would you see claims that he might be the solution. And I think that really reflects how people think about God in Scotland today. In other words, they really don't think about him at all, that he probably doesn't exist, and that even if he does, he must surely be impotent, evil, or both. I've preached on this psalm a few different times this year, and each time I have had a very recent example of this. Just earlier this week, in fact, I was at a friend's house for dinner, and we had a fascinating conversation about the gospel, about God's word, and it was, in in many ways, a huge encouragement to me. And these conversations, they're often very similar. 
people, they're genuinely interested. They see that the gospel makes sense even. They know that they are sinful. They long for eternal life. But these conversations are also super discouraging in some ways because for them, for most of my friends, what their unbelief boils down to, simply in their minds, God does not exist and therefore has no power in this world. For some of them, they may have convinced themselves that that is the case, maybe to justify their lifestyle, to avoid confronting the sin in their lives, though I think they seem to know that it is there. However it is that they've reached that that position in in their thinking, just like the nations in this psalm, they see the messy world that we live in, they see the faith of Christians, they see my faith, and they're asking, where is your God? Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe actually you're there too. Maybe you have similar questions about where God is in all this mess. Well, if that's you, stay tuned this morning, because let me tell you, this God that that we believe in, he is utterly trustworthy, and it would be folly to put your trust anywhere else. But where is this God? Well, the psalmist, he answers that question immediately. See, have a look at verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Uh, This God, Israel's God, the the God of the universe, is absolutely in control. He's in heaven, which is not some spiritual other world, but in literally the heavens, literally the skies. Where is he? He fills the galaxy. He inhabits the universe. And notice, he does all that he pleases. Not some of what he pleases, not what he pleases for some people or in some circumstances. No, he does all that he pleases. He is absolutely in control. He was in control when he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, when he spared them from his wrath at the Passover. He was in control in the context of this psalm, whatever it is that these people faced as they were mocked. Israel's God was in control and he is in control today. Having faced a global pandemic with everything going on in the news, political scandals in Ukraine and Russia, in all of the mess out there, yes, but also in all of the mess in here, in my sinful heart, though the world around us does not recognize him, our God has got this whole thing under control. Would we trust him? And it's absolutely essential that we do. because, And I think this is the first big thing that the psalmist says. Because if we trust in man-made idols, the psalm says we will become dead like them. If we trust in man-made idols, we will become dead like them. Let me read from verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands, They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Do you see the irony here? The Israelites' God has rescued them out of slavery. He's spoken to them, given them his perfect commandments, helping them to live wisely in this world. And yet the nations around them, those nations that mock their God, 
They worship these idols, the, the idols that the psalm describes, created trinkets. They're preciously made, yes, from silver and gold. But of course, as these verses jest, these idols are silent. They cannot speak. They're blind. They're deaf. They cannot smell or feel or walk. Picture with me Andy's bedroom, Andy from Toy Story, if you know the scene. And as Andy leaves the room, what happens? The the toys, right, they come to life, don't they? They talk to one another. They even plot together. Those toys, the toys in Toy Story are alive. They are precisely the opposite of what the psalmist describes. What's the psalmist saying? These idols... They're utterly inanimate. They are not alive. These idols are dead. And to our modern sensibilities, of course they are, right? We all know that Toy Story is fantastical. And perhaps the world around us, I think, today would probably agree. Maybe even if you don't believe in the God of this psalm this morning, you'd probably still say, wouldn't you, that that inanimate objects can't actually, actually be God's. They have no real agency or power in our world. But of course, there are millions who worship idols exactly like these. Virtually every major world religion takes man-made things, puts them in a temple or a church, and calls them holy. But there's more to it than that. Because increasingly, I think, the secular worldview around us isn't simply atheistic, but spiritualistic and superstitious. This is everywhere. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Speaking to a a group of friends recently, and they were speaking about manifesting, which is apparently focusing your thoughts on your goal or your desired outcome, just focusing on it to try and bring it into being, maybe using some crystals in the process. I know a lady who, with all the well-meaning in the world, whenever she sees a robin in her back garden, is convinced that it's her dead mother come back to visit her. It's desperate. Maybe that sort of half uh, supernatural kind of belief is familiar to you. Telling you, if you could be a fly on the wall in the rugby changing room on a Saturday afternoon, you'd be amazed at how many of the lads are utterly obsessed with which sock goes on first, what music they're listening to, what seat they should sit in. And maybe if you're honest, you can be a bit like that too. Even just in in subtle ways, superstitious. Trusting in your own man-made rituals and idols to see you through life. People do trust in all sorts of vaguely spiritual and superstitious, superstitious things today. And these things can be comforting. And yet, like the comfort of a bubble bubble bath, if we spend too long gazing at them, immersed in them, they do eventually grow cold and their bubbles of hope will burst. But more than that, and outside of the explicitly supernatural, isn't it just very normal to place our ultimate trust in the material? Perhaps most obviously we do this with our money. I know I sometimes do this. We very often think, don't we, if we just had enough money, then all our worries and our problems would disappear. And if we do have full wallets, how, off, how, how easy it is to, to trust our wealth in place of our God. Friends, whatever our idols or our superstitions are, 
wherever we are trusting things other than the God that we know to help us through life, well, the psalmist says, we have got to see that those things are not alive. They have no real agency. They do not speak today. And ultimately, they cannot save us eternally because they are dead. Do you see in verse 8 where the psalmist is going with this? Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. In other words, those who make and trust in idols will die. Do you see that? These idols are completely impotent and inanimate. They're dead. And I think really this is intended to be comfort for the Israelite, because the psalmist says those nations around you They may well look powerful, and you might be facing troubling times. Maybe your temple building project just looks so unimpressive. Times that cause those people around you to mock your God. But ultimately, those people, they're going to become just like the idols that they worship, dead. And I guess us too, right? If we trust in man-made idols, we'll become dead like them. Now, of course, we will all die. I hope that's not news to you. Um, But you will one day die. And so whatever it is that we are trusting in, maybe if you think back to the pandemic as we trusted in vaccinations and continuing restrictions, or maybe you were one of those who trusted the people who told us that the pandemic was no big deal. Or in whatever it is that we face in life, whether you're unwell or caring for someone who is unwell or looking for a new job or navigating a tricky relationship, whether it's at home or at work or at school or at university, and those around us are calling our God into question, whatever it is that we trust through that, well, we've got to say that it's really just putting off the inevitable, isn't it? Because though those things might help us steer the course, at the end of it all, we will all die. We will all become just like the idols that we have worshipped. And yet in all of this, there is the glorious hope of the Christian gospel that if we trust in the living God, we will live forever. It's the second big thing the psalmist says. If we trust in the living God, we will live forever. Do you notice the repeated refrains in verses 9 to 11? What does the psalmist say? Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And you see this is all of Israel in those verses. It's the house of Aaron, the priestly family. It's you who fear the Lord. That's outsiders welcomed in. The psalmist says, trust him. Trust him for he has proved faithful in your history And he will be faithful in your eternity. For the readers of this psalm and the other psalms around it, singing these psalms, remembering the exodus, the rescue from slavery, the, the Passover, the deliverance from wrath and justice, for them he has proved faithful. He will be faithful forever, all the way into eternity. Have a look at verse 12. Verse 12, the Lord has remembered us. He will Bless us. Again, this is Israel, Aaron's house, and all who fear the Lord. It is both, if you see in verse 13, both the small and the great. This God, the God who is in total control, he also wants to bless his people, the least 
as well as the greatest, the poor and the rich, the servant and the king. He has remembered them all. He will bless them all. But just imagine how difficult that must have been for these people to to see, incredibly difficult for them to see that in the context of this psalm. As the nations look at God's people and mock them, the glory of the Jerusalem temple, once a genuine wonder, now maybe nothing compared to the temples of the great empires, even as it's being rebuilt, unimpressive. They may not look much blessed, but God's promises are sure, and he will bless those who trust in him. I love that. Don't you love that about our God? This is both the small and the great. His blessings are not measured according to our worldly greatness. No, if you're here this morning and for whatever reason you feel or or if you've been made to feel insignificant, whether that's in the world around us or at school or at work or here at church, maybe it feels like everyone else is getting all the good opportunities, like you're constantly overlooked, as though your gifts aren't recognized or utilized or celebrated. Firstly, let me say how sorry I am. I know what that feels like. It's horrible. And you need to know that God does not see you like that. And churches exist to see people flourish and use their gifts. And I know that you guys here at Grace Church Leith, that's, it's what you want for each other. And our God, he wants to bless you. And so would you trust him? From the smallest to the greatest, the least to the most, whoever you are, however you have been made to feel, would you trust this God and receive his blessing on your life? But what exactly does that mean? To trust him and he will bless us. What are we saying? Are we saying that we're blessed according to a measure of our trust? The more we trust him, the more we're blessed, materially blessed. There are are lots of people who would speak this way, aren't there? Claiming that with enough trust in God, we can claim any blessing as our own. God's sort of sweetie shop. What blessing would you like today? You single? Do you like a husband or a wife? Money for that project. Some physical healing. Name it, claim it, and it's yours. And look, God does give such good things to his people in his will. But not because one trusts him more than another. Not because one is more, uh, more willing to name it and claim it than another. That's not how blessing works. Instead, I think firstly, God's people need to recognize that every good gift comes from above. To trust that any prosperity his people do receive does come from him and not from dead idols. But probably more in view here in this psalm is to trust that God's blessing his people won't always look like worldly blessing. Remember the context here. As the nations look and mock, clearly his blessing won't always look impressive. In fact, it might look very unimpressive. Maybe we know a little bit about that, what we do here at church on a Sunday. Very often feels unimpressive, doesn't it? But ultimately then, it is to trust, trust in the final and perfect blessing of eternal life. Have a look at verses 14 and 15 then for an example of how God's blessing works in this psalm. 
May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, the the idols of the surrounding nations that we've read about, they were very often attributed with fertility and prosperity. That's what the people foolishly trusted uh, trusted in them for. But one of the promises of Israel's scripture was that God's people would be the ones that would be fruitful and multiply. This is a blessing from God. It comes right at the beginning of the Bible with Adam in the first chapter of Genesis as a, as a global promise, or in the third chapter of, of Genesis, rather, as a global promise. It is repeated at various points to the leaders of God's people as a particular promise to Israel. And it's a promise that had been partially fulfilled by the time of this psalm, as the Israelite nation grew and occupied the promised land. They had been fruitful and multiplied, but of course, here, it seems as though they're in national crisis. And so God says to them, you may be decimated now. It may look as though your God has deserted you. The nations may mock, but still, I am your God. And I promise that those who are left will once again be fruitful and multiply. And of course, for us today, through Jesus, that promise has once again become global. As his kingdom has grown and is growing. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commands his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them the good news. The good news that if you trust in the living God, you will live forever that they might follow me too, Jesus says, for that is where true blessing is. In trusting this God, who blesses us now, not least with the presence of his Holy Spirit, blessing us as a church with gifts to build one another up and encourage each other. And ultimately, he blesses us wonderfully in love, with adoption to his family with that wonderful inheritance, with forgiveness and freedom and eternally with life. Eternal life. For if we trust in the living God, we will live forever. And for those of us in the room, it is through that command that we have become part of his kingdom. And so now we can lay hold of that promise ourselves and take part in that command ourselves as the nations around us mock. And as they call our God into question, we can respond to them as we hold out this offer of eternal life in the gospel. See back in verses four to seven, we saw that idols are dead. They have no life in them. In verse eight, that all who trust them will follow them to the grave. I take it that is to the eternal grave. And why is that true? Well, it's because an idol who is not alive cannot die to save. An idol who is not alive cannot die to save. See, our human addiction to trusting anything other than God, it's rooted in our rebellion, in other words, our sin. And it demands a price. It demands death. It's why those who turn away from this God in this psalm face eternal death. But we can point to a victorious saviour. The God who became man, who joined us in our suffering, who really encountered that crisis that all of humanity faces, who witnessed and was tempted by humanity's rebellion against God, 
but who, having lived a perfect life, took the punishment for that rebellion in our place. Who, unlike the already dead idols, because he was alive, he could really die in our place. And he did. He really did die and rise again. Let me read from uh, John chapter 20. Um, You don't need to turn there. I'll just read a few verses. Um, This is uh, Thomas, wonderful story of uh, Jesus' disciple Thomas. Eight days later, this is uh, eight days after the, the resurrection, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This encounter with the risen Jesus, where Thomas, he, he felt the nail marks in Jesus' hands. He, he put his hand in the wound in Jesus' side. Friends, this is no ghost story. He's alive. Jesus is alive. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning from heaven. Our God is alive. Would we trust him? And as we point people to him, to Jesus, under his sovereignty and his control, as we do that, some people will respond by trusting in him. And the kingdom will grow. The Lord will give increase. For if anyone trusts in the living God, they will live forever. Just notice then, finally, as we finish, how God's people are called to respond to this good news in verses 16 to 18. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But he will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. How do God's people respond? They respond with hallel, right? In praise. Do you notice these verses contain a bit of a summary of the psalm? I don't know if you noticed that. Where, where is God? Uh, in the heavens, which are his. Where is man? On earth, which is his. But, but those who trust in the things of the earth will die. And in their death, they will not praise him. But we, God's people, we will bless him. We will praise him. Surely the implication is that if we trust in him, we will live forever praising him forever from this time and forevermore. If you're here this morning and you do not trust in him, maybe you're one of those who, who mocks, who, who laughs at us. Where is your God? I suspect if you're here this morning, you're probably a little bit more respectful than that. But, but if you're honest, you can't help but agree. God just doesn't seem all that powerful in the mess of this world. Maybe you're just not sure either way. If that's you, let me ask you, who or what do you trust? Who do you trust to steer the ship in the storm of this mess? And who do you trust to see you through the other side? Can the things that you trust make a real difference in this world? And ultimately to your eternal fate, to your eternal position before God, can they really speak? 
Can they really save? Do they really live? And for the Christian, how will you respond to this God? The God who is in absolute control. The God who is alive. He's nothing like the toys in Toy Story. This living God, he has promised to rescue you. This living God, he has rescued you in Christ. He is far more trustworthy than any man-made thing. He's certainly more trustworthy than a flimsy stool in a cheap Italian restaurant. And so will you put your trust in him? And will we praise him together? I wonder if we can actually do this together right now. Back in verse 1, can we read this out out loud together? Verse 1, say with the psalmist, say with me. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Praise him. He is the living God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak today. We thank you that you are a living and active God. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. That as the living God, he was able to die, that he is alive again. And Lord, we want to together declare our trust in him. Lord, would you help us by your Holy Spirit to trust and rely on him for everything in this life? And ultimately, would we trust in him to eternity? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.